I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, and our focus today will be on verses 1 to 4, Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. We're hitting the pause button on 2 Samuel and the story of King David and his son Absalom. But we're not hitting pause on the subject matter. To call David's relationship with his son Absalom dysfunctional, of course, would be an understatement. In David and in Absalom, you see a model of what not to do when it comes to parenting and how it's not supposed to be when it comes to the shape of the home. But what is it supposed to look like? How could things have been different had Absalom, had David acted differently? And we have clear teaching in Ephesians 6 on how God wants the home to be shaped. And I'm calling it the magnetic home, the magnetic home, because this God, the God who provides moms and dads and children, this is a God who calls his people to cultivate homes where the magnetism, the drawing power, the allure of Christ's love draws every single member of the family into the joyful safety of Christ's lordship. That's what we want. We want the magnetism of Christ's love as expressed and as lived in our homes to draw every single member of the family into the joyful safety of Christ's lordship. So we're talking about parenting. We're talking about home life today. And when I say that, many of you are saying, okay, well, this message is clearly not for me because either I don't have children or my children are out of the home. I'm past that season of life. Not so fast. Don't check out for two reasons. Number one, even if you don't have children and even if you don't plan to have children or your children are out of the home, Every single disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, every single person in the church is supposed to care about the children in our midst, whether they are ours or not. Amen? Whether they're our children by blood, by adoption, or in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, we care about them. We care about their physical safety and well-being, and we especially care about their spiritual safety and well-being. So every single one of us, to some degree, has a part to play in the nurturing of children in the faith. Just recall when we have an infant dedication, an infant dedication, 
And I ask all of you, will you do everything you can to love and to support this family as they raise this child in the faith? And we nod our heads. We say yes. Well, we need the instruction provided here in Ephesians 6 to do that. But there's also a second reason. And that is that younger parents, moms and dads, need the mentoring and the encouragement of those who have been there and done that. You don't graduate beyond that. There are young parents who would love nothing more than to know there is an older couple praying for them than to have an older couple check in from time to time to say, how's it going? And to say, oh yes, I remember that stage very well. I know that season. And also to remind them, it is a season, it will pass. (laughs) So be mindful, be on the lookout for who that younger person might be that you can come alongside and pray for and encourage and maybe even mentor on an ongoing basis. So there is something for everyone. No one can check out. We all need to hear what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6 about the magnetic home. So let's read together, beginning at verse 1. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We begin by asking the question, why are parents needed? Why are parents needed? And the answer in one word is discipline. Discipline. And why is discipline needed? Well, when you look at God's commandments, God's law, invariably what you will see is that God's commandments are aimed at an area where we typically go wrong. Or else we wouldn't need the law. We wouldn't need that commandment, right? And in this case, Children need to be told, obey your parents, honor your father and your mother. Why? Because our natural predisposition is to do the opposite of that. To not obey, to not honor, to varying degrees. Some children, of course, are more rebellious than others. We know that. But this gets to the heart of who we are as people. And the Bible is clear that every single human being 
comes into this world not only as a sinner, not only as an imperfect person, but someone who is in sin. And as soon as we are able, we will transgress God's law. We will disobey. That rebellious nature is in you and in me. And it didn't just start now. It happens right from the very beginning. David says in Psalm 51, From my mother's womb, I was a sinner. Now, how different is that from contemporary thinking? Some of you are reeling at that. No, kids kids are precious. No, kids are innocent. And and we come into the the world as a blank slate, right? And it's only later that we, we sin and make mistakes. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because you and I are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And we do exactly as our ancestors have always done. We chafe at God's commands. We resist. We do as we please. And you see this showing up with children at a very, very early age. It's obvious. As soon as they can use their words, no, right? You've heard that. No, I don't want to. And this is why we need parents to discipline to teach them what God commands. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. This is right. This is just. And Paul quotes the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. And he says this is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Where there is discipline, where there is order, it benefits the whole of society. The whole of society. And where there's not. Where there is not discipline. Where everyone does as they please. Where children are not disciplined. It is to the detriment of the whole of society. But this is where we need to distinguish the Christian message, the gospel, from common grace. What is common to all. And parents disciplining their children is not just a Christian idea. You'll find that in virtually every civilization. Virtually every religion will teach that. That's not a uniquely Christian idea. What is uniquely Christian is the teaching that we are in sin. We are in bondage to a power from which we cannot rescue ourselves. And that no other person And this world can rescue us from. And that means the message of Christianity, the gospel, is not a message about how you can experience more happiness in your life. It's not a message about how you can live a more fulfilling and meaningful life. It's not a message about how you can know more peace in your heart. Can you experience fulfillment and meaning in Christ? Absolutely. Can you, should you experience more happiness and joy in the Lord? Absolutely. Can you know peace in your heart through Christ? Absolutely. But that's not the essential message of Christianity. God, in his common grace for humanity, has made it possible for people to find meaning and significance all over the place. They don't need the church. They don't need Christianity. 
And to the extent that we continue to market that as though you won't know happiness in your life until you come to church. It's false. That's not true. And that's why there are people all over who say, I don't need church. I don't need Christianity. I'm happy with this. I'm happy where I am. So what is the business of Christianity? What is our distinctive message? What makes Christianity distinctive? The heart of the gospel is calling sinners back to God on the basis of what Jesus has done for them. That's it. That reconciliation and this magnetic draw of Christ, we only need that draw because we are naturally estranged and alienated from God, not only from our parents, but from our Heavenly Father. This is why the world is the way it is. Because people are naturally in rebellion against God. This is why we need discipline. This is why we need a mediator. This is why we need Christ. You can find morals elsewhere. You can find happiness and significance. But there's only one person who can reconcile you you to the Father. And his name is Jesus. That's our message. And we cannot confuse the benefits that result from knowing Christ and surrendering to Christ from the message itself. Because you can know meaning and significance and peace and happiness and joy. All those things are results and benefits that come from the gospel, but it's not the gospel itself. We need to be crystal, crystal clear about that. Because we are ever confused about what the heart of the message is. And therefore, it is important, it is vitally important for parents to have a right view of themselves and a right view of their children. That we are sinners, raising sinners, right? We are sinners, raising sinners. And therefore, discipline is necessary. Teaching is necessary. No one is competent in and of themselves to do this. We need help. I need help. You need help. And so, on a very practical level, here's what this means. We must not ever hesitate to tell our children no. It's very simple, isn't it? And yet, and yet, contemporary thinking would have us think, Children are so innocent. They're so pure. Why not let them do as they please? And by and large, this is, a, this is a contemporary problem across our nation. We don't want to tell anybody no. We don't want to tell them, stop. That's not good. I know you want to do that. I know you feel like doing that. But it's not good. It's not right. It's not holy. It's not in accordance with what God has said and revealed. Just think of David and Absalom. If David early on had just told Absalom, no, no, that's not right, that's not good. But David was indulgent. He was an indulgent father. He let his children, by and large, live as they pleased. And he reaped the consequences of it. Parents, you need to discipline. Moms, dads, you need to discipline. But, Right after Paul says that, 
And this is, this is so characteristic of biblical teaching. There is balance. As soon as parents say, okay, I'm in charge. Time, time to lay down the law. What's the very next thing? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't provoke them. Don't agitate them. This discipline is not tyrannical discipline. Don't let that power go to your head. And so Paul gives the teaching in the negative before he gives it in the positive. Do not exasperate your children. So this is what parents shouldn't do. Push. Don't push. We want a magnetic draw. We want to pull. And we'll see what the pull looks like at the second half of verse 4. But for now, we focus on the negative. Do not exasperate your children. Now, why does he say fathers and not mothers and fathers? Well, for one reason, there's a helpful corrective here to much of contemporary thinking where people think that rearing children, working in the nursery, working in children's Sunday school is for the ladies. It's for moms. And in the home, many dads think, well, you know, it's a good cop, bad cop kind of thing, and, I, and I'll be the good cop, and then mom can come in and, and be the disciplinarian. I'm there to, to be a good buddy, a friend, right? No, no, dads, step up. Help mom out. Help mom out. Take responsibility for the well-being of your family, especially the spiritual well-being of your family. But there's another reason, and that is sometimes... When Paul uses the masculine, for example, brothers, he means brothers and sisters. And in this case, it's fathers and mothers. It's parents. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Do not push. So how how do we get this wrong? How might we be tempted to push? For one thing, remember that your children are sinners. Therefore, watch your tone. Holly had to teach me a lesson in this just yesterday, actually. The boys had done something I had already told them not to do. Well, they did it again, and I became exasperated. And I said to Holly, I, I told them not to do that. Her response, they're kids. <laughs> they're kids. They're going to forget. They're going to mess up. And part of the magnetic pull of, of the love of Christ is unconditional love. So that even when you have to lay down the law, even when you are angry, You do not sin in your anger. You are restrained. You are controlled. You watch your tone. You're going to get angry sometimes. You're going to get impatient. You're going to say things you should not say. Be careful that you don't push. We don't want our children to become exasperated. We need to be on the lookout for resentment building up in them 
toward you, toward your parenting, toward your home life. It's toxic. Watch out for that. Do not provoke your children. Don't lord it over them. Let them know that you are there for them. You love them no matter what they do. Period. And that there is absolutely nothing, nothing that they could ever do that would make you love them less. Nothing. Don't push. There's another way that we are tempted sometimes to to push. And it's something that can infiltrate a children's ministry in a heartbeat. It comes in in a sneaky way. And it comes in in a way that we're not even aware it's happening. And it, it drifts from home into the church. And it confuses the gospel with a false gospel. And that false gospel is this. Moralism. Moralism. The idea that if you are a good child, a little, good little boy and girl, if you follow the rules, you'll be rewarded. And you'll receive favor. Conversely, if you're a bad little boy or girl, you'll get punished. Do well, and you're loved. You're accepted. Fail to do well? Ugh. This is moralism. And so often, this is how children are taught, even in the church. Follow the Ten Commandments. This is what God wants you to do. He's laid down the law. Now do it. And the end result of that is that we're raising little Pharisees. We're raising little self-righteous hypocrites who don't understand that they need Jesus. Consider the parable of the prodigal son. We focus on the prodigal, the, one, the, the son who goes off and squanders his father's wealth. But there's another son in that parable that's maybe even more exemplary of what Jesus is teaching through that parable, and it's the, the older son. He's the son who stayed home. He's followed the rules. He's done what he's supposed to do. And when the younger son, the prodigal, comes back, he's outraged. What? He's throwing the celebration for him? Where's my celebration? Where's my party? I follow the rules. And what you hear in his words is moralism. Moralism. He thinks that he can earn it. And what we must teach children, whether it's a Sunday school class, at home, wherever, we must show them that they need Jesus. They need God's grace. No one, no one measures up perfectly to God's standards. No one. Moralism is not the gospel And it is dangerous. It is deadly dangerous for children to think that if you follow the rules, you're good to go. And God's pleased. That's not the gospel. That's not teaching about grace. And yet there's another way that we tend to push. You heard me talking last week about how 
David, after Absalom is dead, is, is asking the question, after it's, it's too late, time has passed, he's now asking the question, is the young man Absalom safe? And what I impressed upon us is that we need to concern ourselves with the spiritual well-being of the children in our midst. We need to ask the question, are they safe and sound? Not just physically, but spiritually. And so many churches busy themselves with activities and with programming and with the statistics and with their building, and they're not asking the question, is the young man Absalom safe or not? May we ask that question. May we be concerned about the salvation of our children, but, but, we cannot go to the opposite extreme where we start to rush salvation upon our children. This has been a major, major problem in evangelical churches, in Baptist churches. And part of it is a failure to understand what conversion really is. And we need to recover a biblical understanding of conversion. Conversion is not raising your hand when the pastor says, every head bowed, every eye closed. Conversion is not merely checking a box or filling out a card. Conversion is not merely saying a prayer. Repeat after me. Conversion is not merely getting dunked in water. Conversion is having your heart changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, being born again. And you don't have the power to do that, and I don't either. But we can be looking for the signs that that has truly taken place, where there is real repentance, where someone is hating the things that they once loved, the sin that they once loved. They don't want anything to do with that. If someone is starting to love Jesus more and want to, wants to serve Jesus more. But so often, preachers have pushed this, pushed for a decision, pressured. Parents have pressured, pressured, pressured. Rush, rush, rush. You need to decide this. And guess what? More baptisms you get, membership stats go up. It looks really good. But the danger is false conversion. People who think that they're truly Christian when in fact they're not. And this is why they walk away from the church. This is why people look at people who supposedly are Christians and they don't have anything to do with the church and they think, what's, what's that about? Or people who don't sound like Jesus at all or live like Jesus at all, but, oh, they said the prayer, they got baptized. Parents, Adults, all of us, moms, dads, children are malleable. And this is a gift of God so that they can be taught, they can be shaped, they can be molded. It's good. But we must not take advantage of that out of our own insecurities or some anxiety that we want them to be saved. So they need to decide right now. And, and sometimes... Often, children do this because they know it will make mom and dad happy. 
And so we must guard against. We must guard against this. And we must guard against allowing our children to think that somehow we are disapproving of them. Or we think less of them because they haven't been baptized. Don't rush it. So what do we do? We don't crush a child's faith either. We don't tell them, oh, there's no way you could be saved. This isn't a mechanical thing. There's not a one-size-fits-all. You need to know your children. Know your children. And when a child starts to express faith in Jesus, then we want to hear that. We want to pray with them. We want to talk to them. And we want to wait and see how that pans out. And in general, in general, I think we need to wait until they start to feel the tug of the world away from mom and dad, away from the church. They start to feel a magnetic pull in the opposite direction. And then that's where they're really feeling the the power of temptation. That's when they're really wondering, is this real or not? And that's when they really know the power of grace. So again, there's no formula, there's no mechanical equation for any of this, but we need to be discerning. Moms and and dads, be discerning. We need to recover true salvation. And we don't want false conversions because it makes the whole church look bad. People think they're Christians and they're not. Don't push. So what are we to do? Here's what parents should do. We pull. We guide. We nurture. We bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And these two words, training and instruction, the first we could summarize as emphasizing more the acts, what you do to model for kids what it looks like to follow the Lord. Instruction, the words, the teaching, what you say to them about what it means to follow the Lord. And parents, hear me clearly. We cannot outsource this responsibility, whether to the church or to the schools. We cannot outsource this. Did you realize that when Sunday school was first founded back in England, 18th century, a man named Robert Rakes, Sunday school was intended for unchurched children, and they did it on Sunday because that was the only day of the week that children in the factories had off and were available. But it really wasn't aimed at children in the church. Why? Because it was assumed that Christian parents are going to be discipling their children. But how different is it today? We say, all right, we brought them to church. Woo! Preacher, all right, they're all your Sunday school teacher now. It's your responsibility, right? Now, make a Christian of them. No, the church is here for you. I am here for you. Sunday school teachers are here. These are resources, but don't confuse them with your responsibility as a parent in the home to integrate this, what we're doing now, with the dinner table, 
in the yard, in the driveway. We cannot outsource this. We all must step up to take responsibility. So how do we do it? What does it look like to pull? Teach your kids what the gospel looks like. You're going to get angry sometimes. You're going to get impatient with them sometimes. You're going to say things you shouldn't say. What do you do? You go to them, you look them in the eye, and you say, Daddy got impatient and said something he should not have said. Mommy should not have said that. Can you forgive me? Now, what, what do kids normally want to do? What do we want to do? We say, it's okay. It, it, it's okay. We don't want to linger there. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. We don't, just, it's okay. Just let it go. It's fine. Don't let that happen. There has been a breach. And this applies also between siblings. In our house, you can't just say it's okay. There must be forgiveness. Because there has been a breach, there must be reconciliation. And so we get to the point of saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. This is picturing the gospel. Sins cannot just be swept underneath the rug. Hurt, pain, sin, whether between people or to God, it must be dealt with. Model that with your kids. And there is no better cure for self-righteousness, let me tell you, than apologizing to your child. And you may teach them more by acknowledging your sin and your wrongdoing than you ever teach them in a positive way by what you say. Don't be afraid to acknowledge you're wrong. Don't be afraid to confess your sinfulness to your children. This is part of how we bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And the magnetic pull of that, a dad that gets on his knees and said, I'm, says, I'm sorry. A mom who says, I'm sorry. That's the love of Christ. That's love that positions us in the joyful safety of Christ's lordship. But we also pull by, by modeling what it looks like to walk through trials. When, when you're facing a conflict, how do they hear you talking about that other person? Do you talk just like anybody else? Somebody that's wronged you? You want to get revenge? Pull them in how you face death whether it's the death of a loved one or the prospect of your own. Show them that the Christian has no need to fear death because of Jesus. We don't relish it. We don't look forward to it any more than anyone else. But we need not fear it because we believe Jesus has conquered it. Is that confidence, is that faith visible and how you live your life. Do your kids see? They don't need to be afraid of death because of Jesus. Can they hear that and sense that as you walk through trials and tribulations? Pull them by spending time outside, showing them that there is no nature, technically speaking. There is creation. This is God's world designed by Him to exalt His glory. 
Go outside and teach them that. Teach them to see His glory being showcased all around. Pull them by scheduling time for prayer. It can be around the dinner table. Read a verse. Talk about a verse. Say a prayer. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be articulate. Just show them that you are thankful. What we have, the life we enjoy together, is God's good and perfect gift to us. And we are thankful. Point them to Jesus. Let them know that every single person, moms and dads included, are sinners in desperate need of His grace. And that Jesus died on the cross for them. Pull them. Let there be a magnetic power in your home that draws them to see the love of Jesus in you and through you. But this brings us to one thing parents can't do. Parents can't save their children. Parents can't save their children. You can't and I can't. And notice, Paul doesn't say anything about that. Our job is to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We are to cultivate this magnetism in the household. We're to point them to Christ. We're to do everything we can to position them to receive salvation. But we cannot save them. God and God alone can And that means, parents, make sure that you're resting in Christ's finished work for you and not in your successes or failures as a parent. Be encouraged. There are no perfect homes and there are no perfect families. There are no perfect parents. Look at the Bible. Name one healthy family in the Bible. There's dysfunction in every single one of them. Why? Because the Bible reflects the same reality we know today. This is a fallen world. We're fallen people. This is not how God intended for it to be. But He sent Jesus to show us how it can be. So parents, you're going to fail. You have failed and you will fail. But be encouraged. Your worth doesn't depend on your success as a parent. Rest in God's grace. Trust Him to do what only He can do. He has the power to save. We can't. After you've done everything you can, You've avoided pushing. You've pulled as far as you can. Trust God. Rest in what Jesus has done for you. And let His grace be sufficient. Let His love cover a multitude of sins. And everyone else, who is that young parent? Who is that family that you need to check in with And be praying for. And say, how's it going? How can I help? What can I be praying about? What do you need? What's hard right now? And I guarantee you, those young families will have something to share. There's always something that's hard in every season. Ask them. 
Be there for them. Love them. Let that magnetism of Christ's love pull them in so that they experience more of his love in and through you as we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the clarity of it, even when we want to make things more complicated than they need to be. We're thankful for the challenge in it, when we would rather look the other way or try to wiggle our way out of your commands. And we are thankful for the comfort of your word, that it is so full of grace and truth for sinners like us. And Lord, I pray that you would show us, as individuals, as families, as a church, how you would have us apply this eminently practical teaching to our daily lives. Lord, keep this teaching from being merely entertaining or interesting or stimulating. Rather, let it reach deeply into our lives, into our hearts, and our minds so that we think differently, we see things differently, we see our roles differently, and we are equipped as moms, as dads, as all those who have influence with younger people, and especially children, that we are equipped by your Holy Spirit to act in love and by your grace, to love those you put before us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.